Welcome to this week's episode of Internet DNA with me, Abby. And me, Dan. This week, we're going to discuss what might have happened if the coronavirus hit in the 80s, which, worryingly to me, doesn't seem that long ago, but it was 30 to 40 years. And how different that is from today. If we start at the very beginning, for example, we wouldn't have known about it because we have heard that China tried to put a lid on this and not let it get out. And it would have been much easier to do that in the 80s because there wasn't so much communication. So for a start, we wouldn't have known about it. And then I would have said, and so it would have just hit us and we would have had no preparation time. But there's two things there. As a country, we haven't done very well in the preparation time anyway. And two, there was a lot less international travel. So perhaps it wouldn't have come so quickly either. You might argue that the spread from China would have been a lot less because China wasn't quite such a global player as it is now. But I think that there was still enough travel. When you look at Italy, it didn't take a lot of seeds to get it going. So it's a pandemic in the 80s. And I think there's enough global travel. It would still have happened. How much has the forecasting and modelling really helped us here? Because again, we would never have had global data to be able to put that into place. So the information we would have to hand would have been only what had happened to us as a country. Possibly in the UK, where we have a centralised NHS, that might have been easier than some countries where they were all completely private hospitals. Do you think that that's been a massive help? The data has, the global aspect, but is the modelling helping us? I think there's a lot of problems with the modelling at the moment because no one knows what the truth is. Because we're not testing everybody, we don't even know what the death rate is. We don't know what the catch rate is. We don't know anything because every country is measuring this in a slightly different way every country has a different rate of testing so let's say we look at germany who seem to have a vast amount of cases and not many deaths is that because they're testing everybody and when you test everybody therefore what we're seeing in the uk is a massive under testing way more people have it we just don't know about it because we can't test fast enough i'm looking at the curves and stuff but they're based on stats that are very peculiar in a way because there are only people that have gone to hospital not all the people that have stayed at home you can't even get a country by country you can't really say well in italy this happened in spain this happened and therefore in the uk this would happen because we're not testing at the same way we don't report it in the same way we're not measuring deaths in the same way so i find the forecasting very peculiar and in fact there's a great article about we don't know even the basics we don't even know if it's one percent or 0.1 percent so a lot of our modeling is just based on unknowns and therefore it's not very accurate and it's not very useful because it, it doesn't tell us anything, just some random curve growth. And so that's really interesting that even in this really connected world, unless you collect data in the same way, the global master data model, it doesn't really help that much. Time's being spent on that when perhaps if we didn't have it, we wouldn't have to spend the time on it. We'd be spending the time on something else. It will be useful once the pandemic's passed. And then you can go, OK, well, now we can look at future modelling. So when we get another virus, we can put in those variables in and then we've got much more accurate models to actually determine what's going on. Technology and everything will be used for future viruses that we now yeah. believe that this is a real enemy. There's an amazing TED talk from Bill Gates that Years recorded ago. in 2015, yeah, saying our enemy is a virus and we are not preparing. It's yeah. going to come why aren't we getting ready for it? He could have recorded it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Insightful. Yeah, and also it really opened up 
interesting things about supply chain management. We've got so efficient at supply chain management that we only deliver what we need for tomorrow. The problem is, is when you only deliver what you need for tomorrow and then suddenly there isn't very much and everyone's overbuying, the supply chain breaks down. There's still no pasta on the shelves. Three weeks in from the panic buy. I'm worried about Easter eggs. I think there's going to be a panic rush on Easter eggs and that my children aren't going to get any. I'm wondering how I can make Easter eggs and I'm not brilliant in the kitchen, but we shall see. So going back to the 80s, supply chain is an interesting one, isn't it? Because perhaps there would have been a lot more stock available then because supply chain wasn't so immediate and it was certainly not done digitally. It was very much paperwork. And they were delivered in a different way. Let's say you were a supermarket, you would have been ordering your pasta weeks in advance, months in advance, and they would be traveling for weeks. You would have this sort of add-on supply that would give you the space to go, actually, we need to buy more now. And so slower transport allows you to absorb shocks a little bit more. Do you think the whole way it's being managed would be more draconian in the 80s? Because there's no immediate news. Even news took longer. And so, especially in China, personally, I think the apps and the tracking are quite interesting. And I know that in the future, having all this information on us isn't good necessarily if it got the wrong hands. But being able to know exactly where the virus is and warn people to test and isolate can only be a good thing. I think you could have warned people in the 80s. I mean, we only watched four channels. So you could have got the news out pretty quickly as people listened to the radio. I don't think we would have done lockdown because I just don't think it was possible. You just <laughs> can't put the entire economy on hold for three months. Lockdown would mean nobody does any work full stop. And then I think you get into a much more severe version of what price life. And it sounds heartless, but there is a point at which you say... Living in poverty, I think a lot of people would say, I'll take my chances. And the other side, of course, is social isolation. We have technology. We've gone from telling our children not to be on their screens to telling them to go and chat to their friends. Yes, there was a telephone. But it was incredibly expensive in the 80s. Telephone calls used to cost a lot of money. Even if we were talking about the 90s, we were on modems, which meant you were making a phone call. It cost you money. And it meant you couldn't be on the telephone at the same time. It wasn't like these dual splitters that you now have with telephones. Even the internet of the 90s, don't think, would have allowed lockdown. I don't think businesses were that internet connected. How much of our services now are delivered via the internet, even if you're talking about our friend in trouble right now, Zoom or Google Apps or Microsoft Office 365, this is all internet enabled. This stuff was just not available in the 90s, not even in the noughties, really. I mean, some companies, sure, but mostly very internet-based companies. And shopping, everyone would have to go to the shop. Although I have to say our village shop is being absolutely amazing. And there were more localized shops. And so people weren't having to go to enormous places so much in the 80s. So there is a difference in shopping there. Why were you saying that Zoom's in trouble? because it's got massive security flaws. You can just go and look at anybody's Zoom calls anywhere. The mosque that had hate speak put into their Zoom call, is that right? Yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are apps where you can just go and look at anybody's Zoom call. It's a little bit of a red herring. It's interesting that everyone's gone for Zoom. There are many out there. I use Hangouts, there's Blue Room, there's YPay. There's so many of them. There's Microsoft Teams. I never understood why people use Zoom. I was having a call the other day. We need Cisco WebEx. And I'm just like, wow, we're still in this weird area where you can't just have 
your video conferencing system and they all talk to each other. And I'm like, well, I've got to download another app to do a video <laughs> conference that I can already do in 17 different apps. But I mean, in those days, you would never have done a video call over a 14.4K modem. I remember at the end of the 90s, I was working in an internet cafe that I'd set up in Ecuador, and I was introducing people to VoIP calls for the first time then, and they could call home, which was really exciting for their parents, because before parents had just sort of, what, waited six months for a letter to arrive. So yeah, nowhere near video conferencing at that time. It would have been much, much more insular, but what you're suggesting, which is quite an interesting thing is that there just wouldn't have been the lockdown so more people would have died but it was the only way to keep the economy going there is an argument for the short sharp shock which i think sweden's going for which is most people don't get it that badly we've got a very small population which is an advantage and if people do basic hygiene wash your hands don't touch things just be sensible we can slow the infection that way and it will be an interesting experiment because one thing that everyone seems to be missing is we're not stopping people from getting this thing. It's going to infect who it's going to infect. What we're trying to do is slow down the rate of infection. And this is what worries me about places like China and Iran, where they're like, oh, we're clear now. I'm like, yeah, you're clear until someone else comes along that's got it. But if it's a flu like it is, it's live in the world. It's coming back. You can't stop the infections. What you can do is slow the rate down so you don't overwhelm your ability to treat people. And how is technology helping? What are the positives of technology that we have now that we didn't have in the 80s to help us through this? Wow. Computers, laptops, mobile phones. I mean, even if we want to get into streaming services, online games for the kids. I mean, can you imagine school lockdown? I guess in those days we had textbooks and we had our little notebooks and we would have just written them and filed them in a file and we would have been a lot more used to paper. Whereas my children just finish homework and then just throw it on the floor. (laughs) They're not used to managing paper in the way that we were as children. We were much better paper managers. We had our lever arch files and our dividers and we just knew how paper worked. The ability to communicate is an enormous help. The call out to industries to be able to make ventilators or or testing kits, the call out to people with empty houses to help people that may need isolating. There's a lot of very quick ways to get everyone to pull together. The clapping of the NHS and every staff that helped. There's some really great ways to just help morale and help people during this. The flip side of that, and I'm not sure if it's technology or not, I got my first trolling i was fully trolled on what i now consider a not very nice platform which is next door and the funny thing about next door is it's all local about local people and oh my goodness i've now realized how horrible your neighbors are <laughs> not my well, actual name the moaning that goes on and i was trolled because i knew that on other next doors people were looking for houses because they needed to isolate because they were key workers or they had been thrown out of a country and i was trolled and it kept going in capitals brenda (laughs) so i completely took myself off the platform and i hope that there aren't people looking for somewhere to stay desperately because of it We can still do DIY. It seems the DIY shops are still delivering. It's quite exciting that we have delivery people coming as you get to see someone through the window. I'll tell you one of the things I've found unsettling is not knowing when they're arriving. It used to be just a month ago that I ordered something on Amazon and it came tomorrow. And now I get a sort of, it'll arrive when? Sometime (laughs) soon. Going back to my Easter eggs, I tried to order them online and I spent forever trying to track some down. And I finally was very pleased with myself from 
a certain online retailer and it took me forever because our internet is so bad that it's virtually unusable because everyone's using it and then I finally got to delivery it said in stock able to ship and it said it will be with you by the 15th of May ah <laughs> should I tell my children that Easter's delayed for a month and then we do get the Easter eggs because you can't buy anything in bulk you can have two so if I want to have a pizza evening, I have to go shopping twice. That's completely counter what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be going shopping as little as possible. I know, but I can't because I can only buy two of anything. <laughs> and yeah. you've got three children. And I've got three kids. <laughs> Let Ridiculous. me give you a little word of advice. Yeah. Buy an Easter egg every day. Well, what I'm saying is they're replete with Easter eggs. So you can't get pizzas, but you can get Easter eggs. Yeah. Also, Easter eggs aren't limited. As you said, it's counterintuitive. I'm having to go shopping every day. I'm increasing my risk by having to go every single day because I've got four people in my house. I'm not sure that you should be saying this on our podcast because we might get trolled. Well, we could get trolled, but this is the way it is. I have to <laughs> feed my children. I didn't go out and panic by, but now I'm having to go every day because otherwise I run out of food. I don't have chest freezers and pantries and sheds to fill with pasta or whatever people did i mean i just can't believe how much pasta people bought don't worry you can still go to ann summers and they've got plenty of penis pasta left i heard the other day i didn't realize that the apocalypse i was going to end up having to feed my children cocktail pasta from ann summers there's some nice parts of this isolation so on friday i did a house party when we had some beers and chatted. So it's having some upsides. So I assume house party is exactly like Zoom, but it's just given itself a party name. So I think the next podcast, why can't video conferencing systems agree on a standard that we all use? The other yeah. positive that I think is coming out of this is we're always saying how our children are going to be in a much more technological enabled world and we don't know how to teach them. But what is happening is they are during this time, becoming an awful lot more tech savvy. And I think that is going to stand them in good stead. And I also think all this video conferencing may mean that people aren't traveling to meetings so much. If you get used to the video conferencing, it's a lot cheaper for companies and a lot better for the environment if you don't. So there are a few things. Is the this... internet needs to get better. I have no mobile data and no internet at all because everyone's on it. So that's quite interesting. I don't even have to tell my children to get off. They just can't get on. You know, that while in the urban environment, we can't go out as much because there's a lot more people here. Staying in isn't so painful. But, you know, for a lot of people, I think this is quite a hard time, really, if you've got a lot of kids in a flat. Or if you're on your own. Yeah. But I find that I'm talking to people a lot more, ringing people. I'm saying hi to people. It's just staying in contact because you're not getting that office connection with people where you can chat and talk to people that aren't part of your everyday life it makes you feel like oh i should talk to so-and-so not just be a part of some ridiculous whatsapp meme fest another thing that makes me laugh as well is all the podcasters and radio producers all talking about how difficult it is to do it from home and how they're having to learn to do their podcast not in the same place. And I'm going, yeah, well, we've been doing that for years. People are realising that it doesn't have to be glossy. I think there's a number of things that businesses and people will take from this. And what I found amazing, and again, in the 80s wouldn't have been so easy because we don't have the connection, is the people giving stuff away free. Obviously, Joe Wicks is the main one that people would come to, but there are so many people online now i think david Williams is doing something that are just going i can help people i can be of use and i'm just going to give my time to do that and that is beautiful 
really. And also, it's shown you the purpose of having a video stream, either YouTubers or Instagram, those sort of bloggers, because they've got things like Patreon where they can still earn. It's been a really interesting thing to see what things are resilient and what things aren't. I can't see events being as big a business as it was before. Yeah, webinars and video conferencing and online workshops, e-learning, it's always been pushing through, hasn't it? It's never quite taken off, but perhaps this... Lockdown is, is going to mean that that will flourish afterwards. Yeah. Exactly. The other yeah. thing that I wanted to think about the difference between the 80s and now is we're all obviously struggling with income. Most of us have had ours disappear. And the government, people complain about they're not doing it quick enough. I think they're doing an amazing thing. And what they're trying to do is enormous and they're doing it as quick as they can. And of course, people that are desperate, they need to get access to money sooner. But imagine in the 80s, how would you get access to that money? without having to go and see someone. You just couldn't. This is why I said you just wouldn't have had the lockdown. My big worry is when we come out of this, the government will have printed so much money that the money that you earn and the money that you've got is going to be worth pretty much nothing anyway. You only have to look at Germany trying to print their way out of a problem in the 30s to understand that printing money is not really the answer in a long-term way. And the longer this goes on or the more money they have to print, that just comes further down the line. not really make money. And there's no such thing as free money. We're all being given no. money, but I would be really hopeful that future people understand that a they're going to get taxed more because we can't have the nhs in the state that it's in our lack of resilience has been quite shocking really we will see how prepared we really are and how much the nhs can actually cope hopefully it will realign some priorities about what we think is important do you really need that extra 200 quid to go and buy a load of plastic shit or would that be better spent in frontline defences. What, instead well, of me spending it on something myself, it will be going into taxes? Yes, okay. exactly. So it will be interesting to see how so, collective psychology changes. One positive thing to leave us on. Air quality. It's actually noticeable. My mother, who lives in Cambridge, says it's unbelievable how clean the air is because no one's driving. That's really positive. I think people are going to realise that they don't have to travel as much. And actually maybe having online videos and demonstrations where you can spend some time making sure that the presentation is brilliant rather than turning up with a PowerPoint slide, having a cup of coffee or sitting around. One bloke's fiddling with a pencil, the other bloke's texting his girlfriend. It frees up a lot of time, doesn't it? My thing is, I feel that society wasn't being very nice to each other. There was a rot within how we were acting as human beings. Yeah. And it wasn't good. And Brexit here and what was happening across Europe and other countries is all part of that. We just, as you're saying, maybe out for ourselves. We weren't thinking as a society. And I hope that this will bring us together and bring us back to looking out for others, not polarizing and being difficult. I hope so. I think it can equally go the other way. A load of finger pointing and my, my trolling. There's that. It could easily spill over into a nasty us versus them, especially if the economy really starts to take a pike down. We know from history, the worse the economic situation, the more us versus them it becomes. You can be very generous when everything's great. I was going uh, to say what was making me laugh about our podcast, or not laugh, but but interesting, was we've always been very apocalyptic and end of world. The yeah. recent ones, we've actually been quite positive and not. But I think that you are diving down now into a Mad Max. We're all going to end up in windswept deserts soon. But We need global solutions. I agree. 
I'm just saying that it could equally go the other way, where people start to bunker down and turtle up. You know, <laughs> I like that phrase. Well, we've got to go. We're going to yes. take a break next week as it's Easter. And I hope you do all find your Easter eggs. And I want to say that we have tried to keep this light, add a bit of fun to things as we always do. But our hearts and thoughts go out to the people that are really struggling and having problems. And to everybody, keep safe. And to everyone, you keep safe. For your work that everyone is doing together. And a really good resource is the Coronavirus Tech Handbook, worth looking up. And stay social. Call your friend. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. See you later. Bye. Bye.